Now, some people like ads, some people don't, and that's okay. But we like to keep everyone happy. So if you're one of the people who doesn't like to listen to ads, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you can listen to this podcast just the way you like it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's time for the podcast. John is chuckling away over here. We are having what we describe as our weekly organ recital yes. movement, which is middle-aged men talking about their uh, bad organs. Their bits. Their bits that John is worried. John's going for a full 24-7 MOT and oh, he's, yeah. he's not liking what's oh, coming yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. evidence is damning. It, but, but what it is, is in my head, I know you're the same. In my head, I'm 32. I'm 21 I, in my head. And well, <laughs> <laughs> there you go now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's why you still play football. I was out in Storm Babette. Can you imagine this? Seven aside, outdoor, in the lashings of rain. In, a, in an orange warning. In an orange warning, feeling for all the world like a mid-1970s sort of Johnny Gile midfield general, muck all over the place. But it's perfect. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep playing. It was on grass. Actually, I was up in UCD in the cages and I will be in UCD tonight, Tuesday, playing football and tomorrow, Swanker Fine about the Joyce Award. Good man. That's but, a great one. Yeah, no, it is a good one. And of course, John, we are talking Kilconomics. Our gig has sold out. This will put your blood pressure through the roof again. Through the roof. John, like John always gets a little bit nerve-wracking. It's, it's it is nerve-wracking. I, I love it when I'm in the middle of it, but it's not my natural environment, shall we it say. It is not. The Watergate Theatre in Kilkenny was not designed for you, but it is designed for you <laughs> yeah. because we're sold out. I know, it'd be great, it'd be great. That's Kilkenomics, kilkenomics.com. We hope to see you down there in the Marble City next week from Thursday, the 2nd of November. John, I worry about bond yields. The podcast yeah. today is going to be about bond yields, interest rates, and the coming collapse, monumental collapse of the Irish commercial property market. Oh God, that sounds doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. It's only doom and gloom if you own them. If you don't own them, it's not doom and gloom. Oh, I'm all right then. <laughs> exactly. We're all right. Okay. If you own a big building in the centre of Dublin, you should be worried. Yeah. If you don't own a big building and you rent or you're a company looking for an office, then this is all good. Well, it seems you you mentioned Storm Babette there that we've just endured over the yes. last few days. I have to say, I felt so incredibly sorry for the people of Middleton and particularly down in, the East Cork, yep. down in East Cork, 
who were completely and utterly washed out. Like all the, the main street and all the, the buildings and the businesses and all the rest, absolutely washed out. And that's my, one of my greatest fears is that flood of stuff that comes in. Because it's not just water. It's all the, the shit that comes in and the mud and everything. Cleaning that out. Oh, no, it's, it's horrendous. But here's the thing that kind of annoys me about it as well. is the fact that basic geography tells you that floodplains flood and should not be built on and should not be built there on should not be concrete on floodplains exactly yeah and and this is this, to do with planning john this but, is all to do with planning exactly, it's all to yeah. do with planning and i'm not saying this is the case in middleton but what you have is the brown envelope culture that we're going to talk a little bit about in commercial property as well where areas that should not be built on happen to be built on and you think why is this it's because zoning zones areas mm. that shouldn't be zoned. Mm. Now, why would you do that? Why would you... Who, the qui bono, who, who benefits? Why would you do that? Yeah. You might do that because somebody influences you to do that or suggests that you should do that. Yeah. And I think, like, so, for example, during the Celtic Tiger area, so many estates were built on floodplains and those estates could only have been given planning by corrupt planning. Only. Because planners, as you say, a planner knows where a floodplain is yeah. because it floods every year. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. every two years or three years are is susceptible to flooding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the clue's in the name. It's yeah. a floodplain. It's a floodplain, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, and if you are going to build on, on floodplains, but then you build the protection yeah. for, you know, build up those levees, yeah. you know, and, and uh, hope that uh, Storm Katrina doesn't come in, like in New Orleans. In, in New Orleans, please. In New Orleans. New Orleans. In New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of... And when, when the levee breaks... When the, the levee breaks, and then and I just... Quick story about Middleton. Middleton is the ancestral home of William Penn, the man who gave his name to Pennsylvania. Oh. These oh. are all these are the Nolans of Pennsylvania, all these first all these first states, you know, all yeah, these people yeah. came from around there. But yeah, no, no, it's 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 off of if you're not from Ireland, Middleton is a pretty town in East Cork and has been a it's gorgeous place. Yeah. It's also the home of Jemison Brewery. Mm. There's a very fine Jemison Brewery there, and I know it because I've done a gig down there. And if you ever want to go down there, it's a very, very fine town. All sorts of very good artisanal products and local agriculture, yeah. and you've got a brewery. Speaking yeah. of Jemison, I'm going to start our discussion today from Guinness Brewery. <laughs> You're going to start with a few shots? <laughs> a few small, actually a few small little red breasts in yes. the morning to kick us off. There. A little teacher yeah, there. A little, just to get, just to get everything going. Yeah. No, I want to talk about a walk I went on from Guinness Brewery to the end of the Liffey at Ring's End. Yeah. All the way down. Nice walk. From St. James's Gate. Yeah. St. James's Gate, of course, you know, is obviously Santiago de la Compostela. So it's the yes. Irish version. So if you want to do the, what's it called again? <laughs> the Camino. The Camino. You've got to start at St. James's Gate because yeah. that's when it originally started. It was the Gate of St. James. <laughs> so people who know Dublin will know that this is where the Guinness Brewery is. I went for a walk the other, a couple of nights ago. Mm. And I walked down the Liffey, St. James's Gate, and I, I mooched up around to Christchurch. And then I came down... And this was after the Michael Lewis gate, actually. Yes. And I came down, which was very interesting. Which it was I, brilliant, yeah. I came down through the old town. And when I say the old town, Parliament Street, Dublin Castle, down around through Temple Bar, then out down the Quays and all the way down as far as the Yacht Tavern in Ringsend, mm -hmm. where I went in for a pint. And then I went across 
to the O2, or is it the three arena? Whatever it's called. Well, yeah. right? The point. The point. The point. Right. So I went down to the point, not to see a gig, but just to meet you around to have yeah. a look at Dublin Port, which right. is, as you know, an issue that I feel strongly yes, about. Okay, yes. we, we, will have, very so we will have another podcast on that soon. Yes. Dublin is the only city that I know in the world that is on the sea, but turns its back to the sea. Every other city in the world opens up to the sea and yeah. says, this is who we are. This we is do, the sea. This is the sea. The water boys. Mike Scott. Yeah. Exactly. Old England is dying. One of the best. Wasn't that from This is the Sea? Yeah. Very good song. Yeah. Brilliant song. Journalists are dignified. Brilliant album. The whole album is very yeah. good. We actually might listen to this after the gig. We might, we might have a small whiskey and listen to This is the Sea after the gig. Anyway, anyway. So what I was looking at is the impact, John, of high interest rates on commercial property. This is what I was thinking about, right? Mm. So what has happened in the interest rate market is the following. Interest rates have gone from zero to 5%, the US long bond rate. Now, the reason the US long bond rate is so important is that the US long bond rate, John, is what's called the risk-free rate of return. And it means the following. If you believe the United States will not devalue, if you believe the United States will not default, it means that you can invest in the US long bond, get 5% and go on the lash and you'll still get paid. So it's the risk-free rate of return. Mm. It means that as that goes up, it means that every other investment has to be benchmarked against that. So it means that the price and the value of almost every other leverage investment falls because the discount rate rises, number one. And number two, what it means for commercial property is that all the rollover financing of commercial property is going to cost a hell of a lot more today than it cost yesterday, right? All this goes okay. into the mix to change the fundamental mathematics of commercial property. So that, I was contemplating that as I was walking through. Mm, but what I was also, exactly, <laughs> other people think of, <laughs> exactly, where I'm going I for dinner. Going no, look at the birds, look at the architecture. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about the long bond rate, you're talking about the architecture. But the architecture comes into the story, Okay, right? good, good, good. So Dublin has three phases of commercial property. It has what I call the Georgian Stroke Victorian phase, right? Mm-hmm. So they're the Georgian Stroke Victorian buildings on the quays in the old part of the city around yeah. Dublin Castle, all the squares, okay? And they are commercial property. They're kind of inhabited by, you know, small-scale lawyers and accountants and media companies, market companies, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I happen it's the to, character of Dublin. It's the character of Dublin. I happen to believe that they should be converted into houses, but that's a different podcast, right? Mm, okay. Because they are dead at night. So they're nine to five places. True, yeah. But I was yeah. walking by, I was looking at them, I was thinking, okay, that's fine. So that's the first phase of Irish commercial development. They were homes, they were converted into commercial, and lots and lots of people have their small offices. And they're usually typically small offices yeah, in those yeah, places, sure. right? Yeah. All around town. And then I was looking at the second phase, which is the sort of the monstrosity phase. This is the sort of the former Hawkins House buildings, all these oh, ugly yes. buildings, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that in the 1960s, this is the this is what I would call the corruption phase of Ireland, yeah. right? The crony phase. There were a gang in Ireland called the Men in the Mohair Suits, of which Charlie Hoy, our former Prime Minister, stroke Taoiseach, was the leading light of this, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, these yeah. people tore down lots of Georgian Dublin. And in its stead, they erected these brutalist, that can only be described as brutalist, yeah. 1960s purpose-built office blocks. Right? I, I mean, in fairness, it, it, that certainly happened in Dublin, but it also happened in London and stuff. There was a kind of a, a dearth of design and taste 
There was. In that era, for some reason. We I will don't blame Le that. Corbusier, the French architect, ah. for his brutalism, right? Now, right. there are many people who like brutalist architecture, but they're usually architect fetishists, right? Right. Okay, they're like foot fetishists, except they put fetishists for buildings, not feet. Okay, so it's, a, it's a subculture, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 okay? We won't even go there, right? <laughs> but I was looking at these buildings. There's one down on Georgia Street, a really brutal one. There's, a one, there's one in the back. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Those buildings were the second phase, the second mm. historical phase. And they were built in the 60s and 70s, right? And they were built by a crony building class. And think about what happened, right? They tore down old George in Dublin. They built these brutalist buildings. Who rented these buildings? The semi-states, right? Right. The Department okay. of Agriculture, Department of Revenue, the Department now. Now think about what was going on. We talk about cronyism. Yeah. What was going on, obviously was the local corrupt politicians, right, talked to the developers, said to the developers, you go ahead, give us a backhander, and we will ensure that you get a semi-state lease, right? So you Which get a is like forever. Lease. Forever, yeah. exactly, and can't default on you. So implicit there was yeah. the corruption in Ireland, right? And it was all done by the men in the mohair suits who used to drink in the Shelburne bar. This is going yes. back to the 70s, right? And who else inhabited those big buildings where they tore down Dublin's Georgian architecture, put up the brutalist things, semi-states and the large banks. Right. And what were the large banks doing? They were financing the deal. Right. So it's a beautiful sweetheart yeah. deal. So you've got the crony capitalists, the crony politicians, the crony developers, and of course the banking system this financing. Is, this is a lovely closed system. This. Exactly. This is, yeah, this is like a, this is like, you could imagine a Petri dish. Remember in biology in yeah, school, you had yeah. the Petri dish and it was a fertile Petri dish for corruption. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was contemplating this as I was walking down. And then of course you go down onto the, onto the Liffey and you see this sort of the new architecture, which is the globalization era. Right. Which is the steel and chrome, big buildings of yeah. the multinationals. Yeah. Largely the multinationals. And a couple of local lawyer offices, I've noticed, who I would describe as having atrium envy. Have you noticed they, they love an atrium? You yeah. see these big buildings, right? You go yeah. in. There's, there's some big, beautiful buildings there. There's these big, there are some of them are very big, yeah. big but they are very beautiful. There's these kind of massive big atriums. And I think in the West Lower, there's atrium envy, right? Okay, I think that all these guys from all the big law firms and accounting firms or whatever, they go along, have you seen my new building, right? Have you seen my new building that we're in? We're in this check out the building on that. Yeah, check, exactly, exactly. And it's like, have you seen my atrium? So you have to have a huge echoey atrium, yeah. which betokens power. It's like, a, it's, it's, it's like a citadel of power, right? Yeah. And if it's good enough for the multinationals, our local lawyers and accountants have to do the same thing, mm. right? <laughs> So that's yes. the third phase, right? Yeah. So it's all together. And as I alighted from the Liffey over the canal bridge there at the basin, which yeah. is a little bit stinky, and it was ebb tide, and we know what Dublin at ebb tide yeah. is like. Yeah. It's, if, you want, if you want to find that missing Tesco's shopping trolley, yeah. I'll tell you where it is. Part of the character, though, is yeah. that. It's, yeah, 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 exactly. It's Tesco shopping trolleys, <laughs> lots of traffic cones, stuck in the mud yeah. in Ringsend. Then I go into the yacht for a pint, and then I go off, right? But what I was discussing in my own head, because as you know, my head is usually a multilingual, multi-ethnic conversation inside my own <laughs> gown, right, was the end of Dublin commercial property. Because we have built, look at, just, just look at the amount of cranes yes. in the city. We yeah. have built and built and built and built. Now, commercial property usually rises if the following five things are in place. If interest rates are falling, if vacancy rates are low, mm -hmm. 
if demand is high, if the existing supply is low, and if the price is low, right? Okay. So you put those all five things together and you say, okay, commercial property should be fine. Every single one of those indicators in Ireland, John, is pointing the opposite way. This is the problem. Right. So but this is new. This is new. This yeah. is absolutely new. And it's a function of mass building of offices rather than residential in the city, in all our cities, yeah. over the last couple of years. Well, actually, the last decade. So it's the last property crash. But actually, hold on a sec. Can, can I just ask you then, is, as a general rule, is the return on commercial property much greater than the return on residential property for, for a developer or builder? For a builder, it's much easier. And for an owner, it's much easier because you tend only to have one tenant or two tenants. Okay, yeah, right? that makes sense. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Number two, if you can orchestrate a market and manipulate a market, it makes much more sense. And number three, there's been a change in the type of owner in the last couple of years. So in the past, it was a builder developer came in, borrowed from a bank, built the thing, rented it out. If they were lucky with a sweetheart deal with a semi-state company mm -hmm. or a, a quasi-public state company, and they sat in it, right? Yeah. Now what you've had is the financialization of property, which is that large funds, pension funds, you, your friends, the vulture funds, but they're out of the market completely now, yeah. right? But other property funds have come in. And what they can do is they can put together big portfolios of commercial property, and then they can manage the yield is what they call it. So they borrow heavily to create this vehicle. This vehicle buys all the commercial property and they give a rate of return to investors. And it's actually, what it does is it increases the scale of yeah. what you can do. So, so commercial property is all about scale. Mm. And because it's about scale, the bond yield matters even more because it's basically a spreadsheet play, right? It's some guy with a spreadsheet saying, if we borrow at 2%, and if our yield is 5%, then we get a profit of 3%. That profit of 3% on one building is great. Imagine on 100 buildings, then you're suddenly talking big bananas. Yeah. You're talking big, big money. But it's all predicated on the discount rate remaining low. But right. as I've just told you, the discount rates come from zero to five. And the problem with being at zero during the pandemic, yeah. which is great for borrowers. If you're borrowing, it's amazing because you can borrow at zero to, to produce. But if you are borrowing and you have to refinance that borrowing time and time again, what happens is the following. The discount rate at zero means that there is no financial model. It's all guesswork, mm. right? It's entirely guesswork because you've no way of discounting what the real value is because the rate of interest is zero. Right. It's only okay. when the rate of interest is positive that you can actually create real spreadsheet models of valuation. So you're basically just punting. And the longer the interest rate is zero, the more likely you are to get what economists call malinvestment, mm. which has nothing to do with Malcolm or anything like that. <laughs> it's bad investments, right? And it comes from the following, right? That when interest rates are zero, people make investments in things that they wouldn't otherwise do if interest rates were positive, mm. right? And what has happened- Because it's free money. Because it's free money. Yeah. So when money is free, you don't concentrate so much on anything. And what happens then is the investments that are undertaken when money is free tend typically to look really stupid when money becomes expensive mm. and money is becoming expensive. So that's the first thing. Yeah. So if you look around Dublin, what you see is an oversupply of existing property. 
Second thing is over 2 million square foot of property is coming on stream this year. New, new, new stuff. New, Jesus. 2 okay. million square foot. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of companies, right? Yeah. Number three is the tech companies. The tech companies are all, as we know now, retrenching. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Number four is the work from home idea. And then you've got to say, okay, what is the vacancy rate in Ireland? So the vacancy rate is the number of those buildings that remain vacant. And what we have in Ireland, in the EU, the average rate is 7.5%. So 7.5% of all commercial buildings are vacant. Yeah. Do you know what it is in Dublin? 14.9. Wow. So it's twice as big. Wow. So there's already massive, massive okay. vacancy. So you take all this together. Your vacancy rates are high. Your rates of interest have gone through the roof not historically, but relative to what they were two or three years ago, right? Mm. Your supply is huge. Mm. So the, the supply that's coming on is huge. Your demand from your tech guys, who were basically your bulwark, they were your sort of, they were your anchor tenant. Yeah, yeah, Your yeah. metas and your Googles. That's all, not disappeared, but it's all dramatically, dramatically cut back. Yeah. Now, what does that say to you? It says that the commercial property market is fragile at best. And then you look at what the actual local players are doing. So what the best thing to look at then is what is happening in the market? Now, typically in Ireland or in Dublin, about 4 billion euros per year was being invested in commercial property for the last eight or nine years. Mm. Do you know what was last year? What? 1 billion. So the market has collapsed. So nobody's actually investing. So what you see is the, the actual players themselves, those funds, yeah. have got out. And why have they got out? Because the mathematics doesn't make any sense. So what you're saying then, Mac, is that everything is pointing <laughs> downwards. Yes. And we're kind of, the, well, the commercial property side is screwed. I'm not in commercial property. That doesn't really kind of affect me. Float your boat. Or, no, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. But, or does it? Like, like what, okay. what will this mean for the economy in general? What kind of knock-on effects is that going to have for me and for the average hunter? Okay. Let's talk about that. After this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay, Mark, commercial property is in trouble. That whole sector is in trouble. Yeah. How is that going to affect us and what is it going to do to the economy as a whole but then also to you know punters like me it's great it's great yeah it's great okay so what yeah it's absolutely Woo! great no it's absolutely great so commercial property is owned by a small minority of people right mm. fine goes up goes down their problem right some can get very rich and have got very rich over the past yeah. we're talking to small minority of people well, it does have a knock-on effect though surely first knock-on effect is through rents if commercial property prices fall yeah. and i just want to give you Dublin rents are amongst the highest in Europe. They're 700 euros per square meter, right? Incredibly high. Yeah. If commercial property falls, rents fall. Rents falling is good for everybody because rents are only the income of the rentier class. You know, I always talk about the rentier class. So the yeah. rentier class produces nothing except they take and extract rents from the economy. The thing about a building is a building has never created any innovation, any products, any sustainable wages after it's built, right? Mm. All it is, is rent captured by the landlord or the owner or the pension fund, okay? Mm. So they lose money. So what? Well, my pension fund. This is, again, the great things they always say, so it's your pension is going to... Yeah. Your pension fund, if your pension fund loses money on, on property, that's the risk you take. Right. Now, if your pension fund is entirely invested in commercial property then you should have a different pension fund manager. Right. Because the pension fund manager is all about spreading risk around various different assets. Okay. Right? Okay. If you have a one that has actually run up this cul-de-sac, then you should have a different pension fund manager. Because the pension fund manager's idea is a little bit of property, a little bit of bonds, a little bit of stocks, a little bit of cash, and you manipulate the whole thing and you reduce the risk to you, John Davis, so that you can go for a pint with me at McKenna's and not be worrying about these things. I need to get a pension first, I think. Okay, we'll get a, we'll get a, we'll get a collective podcast pension, okay? And we leverage up the BJs out of it, okay? We'll do a Sam Bankman freed on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay? exactly. We'll set up our own trading company, okay? Our little, a little sort of exchange, right? Yeah. Trading, I don't know, memorabilia. <laughs> podcast memorabilia. And then we'll have our own little podcast hedge fund, right? Yeah. And we'll take customers' money and we'll use it in the hedge fund and then we'll claim we didn't know anything about it. Okay? But we're just telling Perfect. everybody. Perfect. Just, I'm just some, writing this down as we The problem is there's some evidence. It's called podcast number 400. <laughs> but they laid out their mendacious, devious strategy to control the world. Anyway, back to our situation, right? Rents go down. Property prices go down. These are all really good things for a city. In a city like Dublin, where... Arguably, there's not enough residential. Yeah. There is a conversion opportunity. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, neither one of us are builders or architects, so I don't know how difficult it is. But one thing I do know is that it's cheaper to convert a building that's already standing with the foundations and the, the plumbing and the electricity. Surely that's cheaper to convert rather than starting from scratch and, and build a block I don't, of flats. I don't know. I don't know. But again, if... Again, this is where the tax system comes in. Tax system is an amazingly adroit instrument for changing people's behaviour. Mm. So the entire 
Dublin Quays, the entire Temple Bar, all those areas, there are pluses and minuses, but they were all built on tax breaks. So when I, years ago, bought a flat in Parliament Street, years and years and years ago, there were no residents in Parliament Street. None. Can you imagine that, right? Mm. And of course, it was tax efficient. So you bought the old building, somebody bought the old building, and then there were tax breaks. So it actually evened the whole thing out. And that created the regeneration of Dublin right. about 30 years ago. Do the same thing. Say, okay, to big developer who has a commercial property that isn't being rented, who's looking bankruptcy in the eyes, say, look, here's a deal. If you convert this, we will give you a tax break to do so. Or we will, and that for that, you incentivize proper behavior. Mm. So it can all be done. Like relative prices can be manipulated by taxes. This yeah. is what you do if you're an economist. Yeah. You should do if you're an economist. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I think it's probably much more expensive to convert, but it's made less expensive if you give tax breaks, which is what we did 30 years ago. And they were very effective in regenerating mm. big parts of Dublin City. So you're absolutely right. Like if the absence of residential is the problem in a city like Dublin or London, or San Francisco, or New York, give them an incentive to put resi in and change the whole thing. So that's one thing. Yeah. Second thing is... That seems like the bleeding obvious, by the way. Doesn't it? Doesn't it just? Yeah. yeah. Second thing is falling property prices take out of the economy that huge part of investment that goes into what I call dead investment, which is property, mm. and frees up the banking system to make money available into other areas which actually make money, make new products, are innovative, all that sort of stuff. So that's a good thing. I think the third thing is for the overall feel of the city. If you talk to our kids, uh, they'll say, you know, Dad, Dublin's great, but there's nowhere to go out. Yeah. Dublin's great. There's, yeah. no, there's no clubs. There's no places to gig. There's no places for speakeasies. There's no late night places. Why? Because everything has been priced out by property prices, commercial property. Yeah. So a city that actually, when prices fall back, creates its own sort of flourishing ecosystem where you can have venues that are not necessarily always being benchmarked. So if you're a landlord, say, oh, I can have this venue as a small pub or a bar or a club or whatever. But you know what? It would be far more profitable for me to put it on the market and sell it to a, an investment fund to build offices for lawyers. Yeah. You reverse that and you put the soul and the life back into the city. So there's a natural tendency for an organic change in the way the city is. Mm. So all these things are good. And I also think on the more macro view in Ireland, what you hear all the time is we can't build houses because we don't have enough builders. We can't build houses because we don't have enough machinery. We can't build houses because our capacity is maxed out. Why is it maxed out? Because we're building too many bloody offices. So you build less offices, it frees up capacity, in the building and construction industry yeah. to build other stuff. So I think this is a very positive. So, However, because landowners are so powerful, they will be leaning on the government and budgets and all this to try and keep the whole edifice strengthened and keep the whole edifice structured and keep the whole edifice together. That's what I think is going to happen. But it's interesting that, like, during COVID, we've spoken about this quite a bit, during COVID there was the working from home and remote working yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. So, and the good thing about that was it kind of, for some, it eased some of the housing pressure because people could go out, 
into rural areas. Yeah, and work and from home, work from there. Work from home. So it was much cheaper and, and back home with the family and all that kind of stuff. That's either pretty much. <laughs> How's your back home with the family? <laughs> but now an awful lot of companies are bringing people back in to the city, to the office, to work. Yeah. Which, on one hand, I completely but, understand but you know it. what this is, John? This is companies coming under pressure from landlords to fill the place. Right. This is what I think is going on. Yeah. But I think on the other, I mean, we can argue this and, and you know, we can talk about um, company culture and all that kind of stuff. But what it is doing from a property perspective is putting more pressure on the residential because people You're have absolutely. to come back to the city and find somewhere to live that's relatively close to uh, where they're working. So they're not spending half the day commuting. You're absolutely right. Now, I think, let's imagine we're two Martians. Mm-hmm. Okay, little, little yokes sticking out of our heads, right? Yeah. And we arrive down and we behold this allegedly very intelligent civilization called human beings who've done all sorts of amazing things. And then something strikes us, which is the following, which is a thing called commuting. Mm. And we sit there and we look and we say, so these incredibly clever human beings, they empty out one form of building at nine in the morning <laughs> and they go to another form of building which they fill up from nine to five or six. They then empty that one out from six to six in the morning and they commute back to the other building. And and, and in doing this, these incredibly intelligent creatures put themselves under enormous misery, put themselves under enormous stress, create a culture where they all seem to get jammed into buses and cars at a certain time. Yeah. (laughs) And then those buses and cars are empty, the rest. They then come back into their houses where they have their dinner and they watch their telly and they get up to all sorts of good and bad things and they do it all the next day. And not only do they do this all the time, but they get themselves into this mad thing called debt in order to do this, Yeah, which is they borrow money from other people to continue this bizarre idea of emptying out one building, commuting, filling up another building, emptying it out, and then filling up the other one. And this <laughs> is all over a 24-hour cycle. Yeah. If you were a Martian, <laughs> which we are not, you would think these creatures aren't that. Clever. There's something wrong with the system. There's something wrong with the people who accept living like this. Mm. And then the Martians would say, isn't it that amazing waste? Not just the misery of commuting and the anxiety and the hassle. And they're driving around these little boxes that are all jammed bumper to bumper for hours and miles. And then they waste all this precious resources of cement and steel and glass by building these extraordinary buildings that are actually empty most of the time. I'm telling you, the fucking Martians would have something to say about that. (laughs) Talk to you next week. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.